Our scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 12, looking at verses 14 through 21. Romans 12, 14 through 21 says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the peace that we have by the blood of Jesus Christ. That God, you have stretched out your arm to be kind to us. At the root of who you are is steadfast love. And so you call of us, those who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, to resemble Jesus Christ. And you have given us here from your word marks of a true Christian, of what it would look like for us to live. And so much as us, as it's up to us, we are to live peaceably with others, that we would not retaliate, that we would not exact vengeance. For you say in your word, vengeance is mine, you shall repay, O Lord. And so God, would you teach us tonight from the Sermon on the Mount of what it looks like for us to embrace being wronged when everything in us wants to retaliate, everything in us wants to see justice as we identify it. God, would you teach us how we can respond in a way that would be like Christ? God, we sit at your feet and we ask for you to teach us. Bless us in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know I live with two good friends of mine, uh, Joel and Carrington. We all three get along, and we enjoy our fair share of uh, video games in our house. Uh, one day, a couple weeks ago, Joel and I invited some friends over on a Sunday afternoon uh, to play a game that required us to be loud and obnoxious. The problem is, Carrington works nights at Le Bonheur, and he was trying to get some sleep before he went into work that day. Uh, needless to say, he woke up a little tilted, a little, uh, little fired up, a little angry. He got ready for work, and he made his way out the door without a single word to, to either Joel or myself. Um, Carrington would have been well within his rights on his next night off uh, to play his video games as loud as he wanted while I tried to sleep. 
and the room next door. Uh, even I would have to agree that I deserved that. But that's not what he did. He, he did not retaliate. Um, he graciously and quietly overlooked an offense. And I am grateful for that. I'm well rested for that. Um, tonight, we will look and see what Jesus has to say on the topic of retaliation. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount, our current series where we find ourselves, is located in the Gospel according to Matthew. Uh, Jesus ascends a mountain to sit and teach his disciples and the crowds that have also gathered. And he does so as both king and philosopher. A couple passages before the one that we'll look at tonight, we see and hear Jesus state that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, what we know to be the Old Testament. Uh, no, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, to live up to what was covered in the Old Testament. And he offers his audience a reinterpretation of the Old Covenant. He offers them a greater understanding of righteousness. Righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious officials of his day, who lived and taught a shallow and merely external idea of righteousness, just that which is seen in public. Jesus expects whole person righteousness of his disciples, not just what's in public, but what's also in private, not just what's on the outside, but what's also in the inside, and that there will be consistency between the two. And he illustrates this in six different areas that we've been covering recently. We've talked about dealing with anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation is tonight, and then next week we'll look at love of enemies. Um, this isn't a comprehensive teaching on these topics. Like I said, they're just illustrations for what greater righteousness demands of us, the disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, last week we looked at oaths and saw how our words are weighty enough without us heaping onto them oaths to try to make it seem like we're being more truthful. And we also apply Jesus' teaching to our commitments, our commitment-making process, to see if our actions match up with our words. Is there consistency between what we say and what we do? And that's important to Jesus in our commitment-making process. Tonight, we turn our attention to the topic of retaliation or vengeance to see what the greater righteousness of Jesus expects us, his disciples, to do. So if you have your copy of God's Word and you are opening it to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 38 through 42 tonight. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, say this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye 
and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay. The first thing that I, I want to take some time to clarify is, is found in our first verse of this passage, verse 38. I want you to see that the Old Testament does not justify vengeance. The Old Testament does not justify vengeance. Look again at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this quote can be found a few times in the Pentateuch, that is the first five books of the Bible, specifically the Old Testament. Uh, the first is a lengthy one in Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. It says, When men strive together, that is, fight, and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Uh, there we see early on in Scripture what we mean by the words, the, the punishment must fit the crime, right? We see the great equalizer in terms of justice from God's word. But there's another reference in Leviticus 24, verses 19 through 20. It's not as lengthy. It goes, If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done it, shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. The punishment must fit the crime. This eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, has long been called the law according to kind. Uh, not just in uh, Bible times, but in other uh, ancient civilizations, they've had laws similar to this. The law according to kind. It was designed to prevent two wrongs. The first, severe retribution that did not fit the crime. You can imagine that there were some who wanted to take more than was deserved of the perpetrator. So it's designed to prevent that wrong, but also the wrong of self-appointed, vigilant action. That the victim would have the right and necessary action to exact vengeance on their own. That would be wrong. And 
This law, according to kind, prevents that wrong. So severe retribution that did not fit the crime and self-appointed vigilant action. Why is this? Why prevent these wrongs? One commentator says it this way, it is all too easy for revenge to quickly get out of hand. For the one seeking justice to be controlled by passions and for well-intentioned responses to become violent reactions that often end up doing more damage than the original crime and spiraling into more violence and instability. But at the same time, we enjoy stories of revenge, don't we? A lot of our favorite movies, that's like the main plot point. Vengeance, right? Think about True Grit, great movie, right? A girl hires a marshal to go hunt down the killer of her father. It's a rich story. There's another movie that's coming out soon, if we ever get back into the movie theaters. It's Batman. There's a new Batman coming out. I don't know if you've seen the trailer. Batman comes out from the shadows. And some thug dressed in clown paint, obviously maybe one of the Joker's henchmen, I don't know yet. He says, who are you? And you're thinking, well, that's Batman. Like, he's going to say, I'm Batman, right? That's not what he says. He says, I'm vengeance. And then he like punches the guy like 20 times. And it's like, yeah, I can't wait for it to come out in theaters. That's Batman. But here's the bad news for Batman. The king philosopher prohibits acts of vengeance. The king philosopher, that is Jesus, prohibits acts of vengeance. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Remember, Jesus is flexing his authority with that I there. But I say to you, he's clarifying the true standard that has always been present in the old covenant, whether the people of God realized it or not. I know it seems like he's raising the bar to a new standard, but we need to recognize that uh, the law according to kind wasn't so much as a command, It wasn't so much commanded as it was available when routinely sought after. It was actually meant to curb vengeance in one's heart by assuring that the victim had a standard for justice that they could count on. But it was not mandatory. It was not mandatory to take place when a crime was committed. Due to the relational nature of the conflict, the victim had options. He or she had the option to pursue justice by way of punishment or to pursue justice by way of mercy. Jesus is affirming the basic validity of the original command. It still counts but he's pushing and expanding the understanding to its true and deep inner person sense. Jesus does this by presenting three scenarios. I don't know if you saw it. Three scenarios and what his expectations are for his disciples in those scenarios. 
the underlying application is, do not resist the one who is evil. This is not a reference to Satan, like we saw last week. Rather, it is a general descriptor for the perpetrator in these scenarios. Uh, you could easily replace this phrase with the, the word evildoer. He goes on to say, But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So we see here, Jesus prohibits vengeance through acts of insult or violence. Jesus prohibits vengeance through acts of insult or violence. When slapped, Jesus would have his disciples turn and offer the other cheek. There is some debate as to whether this slap is an insult, as was culturally possible at the time, or assault against someone. Uh, I tend to think it's, it's kind of both. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I enjoy playing a card game called Egyptian Rat Slap. The object of the game is to get all the cards in the deck. And the best way to do that is to, to slap doubles when they appear on the table. Uh, when you see them. And you have to be the first one to slap to get the cards. That's how the game works. Uh, it is a fast-paced game, and it is a violent game. Like, you can imagine, you're, you're jolting hands to the center of the table, and they just start to pile up on each other. It can, it can hurt, especially if rings are involved, right? If some people are wearing rings and slapping in there, hey, that, that kind of hurts a little bit. Well, uh, there was this one time, someone uh, I was playing against got mad at me. You see, I'm, I'm quite good at the game. Uh, it's just, just a matter of the fact. I'm, I'm quick, all right? I know those doubles. I see them. I slap. Well, as she grew more and more flustered with me in this game, she stopped going after the cards and started aiming for my face until finally she slapped the tar out of me. At that moment, I felt hurt, both physically and emotionally. But I did not retaliate. Now, don't think too highly of me. It was mostly because I was stunned at the time. But this illustrates how often the right thing to do is to be wronged. The right thing to do is to be wronged by another. I admit that feels weird to say. What good would it have done me to slap back? That is not strength. That is not self-control. That is weakness disguised as self-defense. And calling that self-defense would only lead to more confusion concerning actual self-defense. I know many of you are like me. And you wonder what Jesus has to say about protecting your home, protecting your family. And for those of you that are in the military or have been in the military, what does it say about protecting our country? 
here we have to remember that this is not a comprehensive teaching on the topic of retaliation, let alone violence. It is an illustration for the greater righteousness that Jesus expects of his disciples. It should challenge us. It should challenge us in the way that we think about the Second Amendment and our right to bear arms. It should shape the way we understand the difference between defense, self-defense, and vengeance. I don't have all the answers for you. I believe many of those matters come down to a sense of God-given conscience. What does your interpretation of Scripture say to you? What does God, how has He wired you to understand this debate, this argument, this understanding? It may not be the same as the person sitting next to you. It may not be the same as mine. But it's your conscience, and God has given it to you for a reason, and you're wise to obey it. I think it also comes down to wisdom, a matter of wisdom. Again, God-given wisdom that we trust, that he is good to answer our requests as we plead for wisdom, not from a flippant heart, but wholehearted cry for wisdom. The main point of this passage, and those that have come before it, is to probe our hearts to see how we currently measure up to Jesus' expectation of us. And here we see very clearly that Jesus prohibits vengeance through acts of insult or violence. Jesus also prohibits vengeance through legal battles. Jesus prohibits vengeance through legal battles. This one may not seem relevant to you. I don't imagine many of you have been taken to court over intense legal conflict. Uh, but I can't imagine you have had personal vendetta, vendettas with someone who you could see yourself with in people's court. Right? I can picture some of you on Judge Judy. He borrowed my lawn chair, and when he returned it, there was sand and holes in it, Your Honor. Or, I bought a dress on Facebook Marketplace, and it looked nothing like the picture she posted, Your Honor. I know it sounds ridiculous. But you know you've been there when you felt wronged by another person concerning your property. When sued and such, Jesus says to give more. Give the shirt and the cloak. Give the lawn chair and the beach umbrella. Give the dress and the shoes. What good does it do you to go to court and to argue about what's yours? Don't retaliate. Give it up. And then Jesus prohibits vengeance through withholding acts of kindness. Jesus prohibits Vengeance through withholding acts of kindness. When entreated to give of your time, of your energy, of your goods, Jesus says to go the extra mile and to give to the one who asks. We could easily look them in the eye and ask, where were you when I needed you? Why should I carry this burden with you when you left me high and dry? 
Why should I give anything to you when you're just going to take advantage of my help? Yikes. Our flesh is quick to shrink back from opportunities to be kind to others. Our natural inclination is by itself to withhold. But get this, our natural pleasure is to withhold from people we have something against. That we would actually like that. That's our natural pleasure. That's messed up. There are occasions when we will go a mile, but we stop right at the mile marker. Maybe you commit, right, thinking back to our discussion last week, to help a friend move, but he hasn't even started putting his stuff in boxes. You say to yourself, as we all have in that moment, this is not what I agreed to do. There was no mention of wrapping dishes in newspaper and putting them in boxes. The boxes were already supposed to be taped up and ready to go. So you slowly and begrudgingly load up the boxes, place them into the truck, move them to the new place, and you're out, deuces. See you at the housewarming party. Jesus says, go the extra mile. You find out someone's moving, you offer to help. You don't wait for them to ask. You stick around and help them get settled in. You go to Ikea with them and help them pick the stuff out. You, you get my point. It is the Christian way to go above and beyond what is asked of us. We do not have the luxury that the world does. Much is expected of us. Which brings me to my main point. Christians must not retaliate in kind. Christians must not retaliate in kind. Rather, we must embrace being wronged. We must embrace being wronged. Again, that feels weird to say. No one in their right mind pursues being wronged. But when you are wronged, you are to embrace it. You would be wise to embrace it. Now, there are obvious exceptions to this principle. Jesus esteems to us wisdom in certain situations, not literal laws to live by. One commentator put it this way, the command to turn the other cheek does not apply to the situation of rescuing a child from abuse. Nor does the example of giving those who beg require me to hand over my keys to my car to the homeless man who approaches me in the grocery store parking lot. Right? There we see that that actually misses the point entirely if you're to live these things literally. And that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is giving us a vision of virtue, of how to live in the world according to his greater righteousness. Jesus teaches our heart 
to not be vengeful, but compassionate. He assures us of a righteousness that is greater and more beautiful than self-justice or self-identified idea of justice. The perspective Jesus has and commends to his disciples is one that recognizes that God, God is the judge. He is the maker of righteousness. He is the one who makes the world right. So we follow Jesus Christ in his teaching because he embraced being wronged, didn't he? We follow Jesus Christ in his teaching because he embraced being wronged. And so we fast forward a number of chapters to Matthew 26. When Jesus is on his way to the cross, Matthew 26, verses 67 and 68 say, The guards spit in his face, struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? And while he was on the cross, one chapter later, Matthew 27, verse 35, it says, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting Lots. Jesus said several things from the cross, but, hey, that's mine, was not one of them. Jesus didn't resist the evildoer. He embraced being wronged by those who crucified him. And he continues to embrace being wronged by us, by you, and by me. All of us who claim to be followers of Christ were once rebels. We once lived contrary to the kingdom ethic that Jesus teaches. But we have been made new. Praise God, we have been born again. In faith, you surrendered to King Jesus and looked to him for how to live. He did not retaliate against you. He did not exact vengeance upon you. He displayed his mighty strength in showing mercy on you and drew you to himself in marvelous love. Jesus embraced being wronged. And so, we, we must do the same. Trusting the righteous one of God 
to make all things right. While we embrace being wrong. 